I've entitled my sermon, A Pinch of Agnosticism, Three Gifts, Light, and a New Year. A Pinch of Agnosticism, Three Gifts, Light, and a New Year. <clears throat> the artistic representation of the three kings tells us that probably there were more than three kings. We don't really have a record of three in the Bible, but we have three gifts. And so we've often thought it was only three kings, but it does keep it simpler to think of three. <clears throat> but there were three gifts. Gold. This is the only gold that Herb and I own in here. It was, <laughs> it was given to us by the maintenance crew in Ethiopia at the leprosy hospital when we left. It was given to Herb. And it was a chain with a crucifix on it, a gold chain of Ethiopian gold. But since I wasn't Catholic, I had um, Jude Sharp here in Lancaster reshape it into something else. But when I think about gold, I think about those poor maintenance workers at the leprosy hospital who gathered this gift and gave it to us. It's very humbling to have this gift in my house. I hardly ever wear it. <clears throat> Frankincense, I'm not going to pass it around because you might be tempted to taste it. It's from Ethiopia also, and it's one of Herb's treasures. He loves frankincense. It's like, it's like a gum resin, if you know anything about gum resin. I think of it as people cutting into a tree like you would tap for maple syrup, only they let the stuff drip out and bleed and then it sits for about two weeks and then they come and pick it off and it's this gum resin. It's very hard and as we know it's used in incense, perfume, and medicine. I almost bought some the other day. I can't sleep well so I was at a place where they sell essential oils and she said frankincense is a very spiritual oil it will calm you and it will help you sleep. But I decided on another kind, but I almost bought frankincense, essential oil. And then there's myrrh. I'm using this little bottle. There's no myrrh in here, but I'm using it to represent myrrh, which is similar to frankincense in that it would be a gum resin also from what I understand. And most of the myrrh and frankincense in the world comes from the Horn of Africa, which is Djibouti, Eritrea, Ethiopia, and Somalia. That horn that sticks out in the northeast side, we call it the Horn of Africa, or the Arabian Peninsula. And Christmas morning, when I was cooking, I heard on NPR this um, weekend edition talking about um, trees in trouble. Grim Future for Frankincense. And it talked about the original Christmas gifts, and it said that um, frankincense is still used today for perfumes, like I said, incense and traditional and medicines. And then this Dutch researcher is discovering that frankincense is on the decline and maybe soon will be almost non-existent. And he talked about how the farmers, particularly in northern Ethiopia, they are so poor that they harvest the trees and harvest the trees and harvest the trees, and they're dying off, and they're not replacing them. It's hard to replace trees where you have goats 
and sheep grazing and eating little seedlings. And this, um, they also burn the, the farmers set fire to, um, to burn the, the uh, land as well. This researcher says, people say, well, yes, we do understand, but the t at the same time, we have to survive. And so he says, I'm realistic, I think, about this. Already in some countries like Yemen and Oman, the frankincense is almost gone. By the way, you can get it on eBay. Um, 500 true frankincense seeds for, and then it has in brackets, biblical, for $100 and it runs out January 11. So get going if you want to get your frankincense. As I said, myrrh is fairly similar to frankincense in how it's harvested. And um, one of the, the interesting things I found was that balm in Gilead is another name for myrrh. And we think of myrrh as, I guess I would call it the antibiotic kind of thing. It's like when you have a wound, it was used to cleanse your wound. Um, and, it, and it was used, it's also used in our mouthwash and in our gargles and in our toothpaste, and it's particularly good for gum disease. Um, I didn't know all that. And salves and liniments for when you have an abrasion. So now I'm beginning to think everything is connected. Even those gifts from long ago today have, are with us, even though we don't know it. They're all connected with us somehow. Well, what does that have to do with all this stuff that I have here? First of all, I like this because, as I said, it shows us that probably there were more than three people on this trip. I can't imagine three kings going by themselves through the wilderness. No way. They would have had people, donkeys, camels, whatever, and they would have had a lot of people who were carrying their stuff. But one thing you have to say about them is they did buy local. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That was what they had. But they were kings. I don't know if we'd like them or not, because they, they were certainly in the 1%, I'm guessing. I don't know what we 99% would do with them. And besides, they weren't of our religion. They came from the East, whatever that means. And so I'm not sure... You know, we, we hear the story over and over, and it gets so comfortable and feels so sweet. But even in our scripture this morning from Matthew 2, it wasn't all sweet. That foxy Herod back there in that bench, he was up to something. And the wise men had a great job. They were showing us that Jesus is divine. But they also started a lot of trouble. Because Herod got jealous, and he said, I'm going to do away with all the kids under two. And if you read on down, it's not pretty at all. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. So he did his math. And then it says, Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah, 
wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. And then Joseph was told to take his family to Egypt and become refugees. So it's a complicated story. It's not just sweet and light and everything's connected. It seems all connected somehow. And as I'm thinking about it and thinking about current events, it's like, say what? Was there no weeping in Ramah ever before? Yeah, it was then, it was before then, it's now, and it probably will be in the future. So it's all connected. But these are the people that said, we're coming to worship this king, this little king, this insignificant king. And the big guy got angry and did his terrorism on little children. The other piece of artwork is called The Wise Ones. You might not see it very well because it's small and it's dark, but that's okay. There is darkness at this time of the year. In fact, we had solstice, didn't we, not too long ago. So if you can't see it, okay, that's all right. But this is one I've been meditating on this Advent season. is called The Wise Ones by Jan Richardson from her book, Searching the Shadows of Advent and Christmas. And sometimes that's where we have to look for light, is in the shadows. Well, but I digress. Let me explain this stuff here in front of me. There are three boxes, and we've started with the top one called gifts, the gifts that the wise men brought. Amazon.com, right? It's where we get some of our gifts. Of course, you know, you've got all kinds of things that you don't really need books for, but I suppose you can get that stuff there too. So that was to help me remember about the gifts. That was, I was going to talk about the gifts. The second box is soft light bulbs, the good kind, you know. You can't see very well what it is, but it's the kind that creation care would be proud of. <laughs> light. This is epiphany. This is the revealing of Christ. This is the light of the world we're talking about, but it's a soft light. That means it, like, creeps in the darkness. And, yeah, the darkness doesn't overcome it, but I'll tell you what, it's not always a big, it's not always a big, big light. I think sometimes that we miss the significance of light because we have so much of it. And... Anyway, I'm getting ahead of my story. The third box down there is New Year's. You can't read it, maybe, but it says, A Christian Seasonal Calendar for 2011-2012. And it's a liturgical calendar, so it started with Advent. That's the, really the beginning of the Christian year, technically. So that's a different kind of calendar. And I got it in that box. And there is one in there. But the whole thing's all tied up with this florist wire. You might not even be able to see it in the back. It's this green wire that the florists sometimes use. Thanks to Harley Cooker, that's what this whole exhibit is about. He sent an email a couple years ago, and I don't remember the context or the conversation, but it was this funny email about some guy doing marriage work who said men's and women's brains are very different. And I've been chewing on that one ever since. Especially when somebody tells me how my brain works, I get a little irritated. (laughs) 
because I have my own questions to begin with. And it doesn't help when somebody has a simple way to describe it. So he said men's brains are like boxes. They don't like to have them touch. One subject here, one subject here, and then they have a lot of them. And you talk about one subject, and that's it. And then they said they have a huge, I didn't even show that, but he said they have a huge empty box where they can do nothing. And women can't figure that out. But women's brains, he said, are like wires. They're all, everything's connected. It's just all connected. And you say one thing, and it connects to something else, and that has significance. That detail has significance. That one has significance. And, you know, I resonated with that somewhat, but still I'm an agnostic, right? I said there was a pinch of agnosticism in this sermon. Every time we try to describe each other and the mystery of human beings, let alone the mystery of God, it can be helpful, but it has a short shelf life doesn't last very long or go very far because Christmas night I was telling my friends we had for with us for the evening meal I was saying they said what's your sermon going to be about and I said boxes and wire and so I described it to them and the guy looked at me and he said I'm totally with you Sharon I'm wired I got wires I don't have boxes I just think about everything connected with everything and all that, and his wife looked at us, and we knew it was true, and she said, I'm boxes. <laughs> and she is. She's cool boxes. So as I thought about that, I thought, yeah, that's kind of the way it is. We try to figure each other out, and there's a lot of mystery, just like there's a lot of mystery about light and about the wise men, about Mary, the virgin birth. Hello. So... It's useful to a point, but how I'm going to use it for myself is I need more boxes, and some of y'all need more wire. (laughs) And we're together in this. We aren't all going to be, you know, the same amount of wire and the same amount of box if this works at all to describe us. But for my spiritual disciplines, I actually realize that I gravitate to boxes to help to center me to get me to stay with the three points. You know, I think it says something, even if it doesn't say everything. So back to our theme. Everything's connected, and now I add another one. Keep it simple. I think I turned one page too fast here. So that's to explain the stuff. Now, light. A poem from William Stafford. This this poem, I'm told, was written the day before he died in 1993, and it's called At Fourth and Main in Liberal, Kansas, 1932. It's part of my point that literal light is very, very important. We go so quickly to the metaphorical. Light means Christ, and then we forget about light in the morning or light in the evening and how it fades and how it comes. And I think Christ is in that physical light. I actually do believe that. And the more scientists talk to us, they tell us, you know, it's not God restricted to one little spot, but God is throughout all creation. And so I believe in the literal light 
And as I was saying, if we didn't have so much light, we would appreciate it in a new way. When Herb and I go canoeing in Algonquin, all we can see is the stars, basically, because we're out there in the middle of nowhere, no electric lights, nothing. And there's a new appreciation for light and for the stars. Anyway, we're searching the, the shadows, too, at Christmas for light, for Christ's soft, subtle light. This is William Stafford. An instant sprang at me, a winter instant, a thin gray panel of evening. Slanted shadows leaned from a line of trees where rain had slicked the sidewalk. No one was there. It was only a quick flash of a scene, unplanned, without connection to anything that meant more than itself. But I carried it onward like a gift from a child who knows that the giving is what is important, the paper, the ribbon, the holding of breath and surprise, the friends around, and God holding it out to you, even a rock or a slice of evening, and behind it, the whole world. Did you ever have a moment that was simple? Didn't mean more than itself, but suddenly you were overwhelmed with the sense of the great presence of God and the whole wonder of the world, the mystery of the world. I'd like you just to pause for a moment and remember a moment where in nature you became aware of light in the shadow and a sense of God's presence. So just take a moment. In these last weeks, was there a, was there a time like this for you? This Christmas season, I heard secondhand <clears throat> of a person who was telling about the woes in her life, the horrible things happening in her life. And as the other person listened, the other person said, you know what, your story is enough to make me be an agnostic. And this was a Christian. Both of them were Christians. He said, your story, listening to your story is enough to make me become an agnostic. I'm not sure there is a God. This is so awful. And she said that was the most comforting thing she had heard all Christmas season, was his words that her life, her troubles, are enough to make him become an agnostic. He's not so sure about everything. We had a house guest at the beginning of December, and she came down for breakfast, and she said, do you, do you believe all the stories in the Bible? Are, did they, are they all true? She said, I've just come across some Christians who don't really believe that Jonah was actually a person. Or maybe there were no wise men. I, she didn't say that, but I'm just saying that now. But there's lots of things in the Bible, she said, that are just like, and I'm reminded of what Mary said, how can this be when the angel came to her? She said, what do you... 
what, I, I never heard of this before, that Christians didn't believe that everything in the Bible was true, that it really happened. And I said, mm, wait a minute, you're talking to a former literature teacher. Talking about true and historically actually happened, there, that's, you've got to have a long discussion about that. Something may never actually have happened in history, but it could be very true. Could be very true and very needed in our lives. So we had this discussion over the cereal. We didn't quite resolve it all. But it got me to thinking, you know, even if I am an agnostic about certain things in the Bible, there's still enough truth there for me to deal with. There's still enough truth for me to live up to. I read somewhere, and I have no idea where it was over the Christmas season, it said that there was a professor whose students were saying to him, well, how can we believe in the virgin birth? That's like really weird. And he said, that's easy. Read the Magnificat. What's really hard is to believe that the tyrants are going to let go of their power. What's really hard to believe is that the valleys are going to come up and the poor people will have what they need and the rich are going to come down and, and stuff's going to be a little bit more equally distributed. He said, if you think the virgin birth is hard to believe in, try the next section there that we're going to talk about next week. So any of my agnosticism I think is important. It needs to be talked about in the church. But there's enough truth there for me to work on for my whole lifetime, for us to work on for our whole lifetime, for the world to work on. There's still enough truth there. And sometimes we argue about things that are important to argue about, but let's not let them be our screensaver because there's so much truth that this story, this day, and this light calls us to that I think there's plenty for us to do. Well, I've got a lot of pages yet, so I'm going to jump. One of the places I'm looking for the soft light of Christ is in our addictions, in our pain, in our grief. And there's a number of places we don't need to look far to look for Christ's light there. And I look in my own, first of all. And some of it has to do with these wires, you know, and connecting everything, getting all hung up with that, and not focusing on the things in the moment and really watching where Christ might be at work. The things that I try to fill up that are holes in my life, that really God wants to be more present there to me, that I want to be more aware of God's presence. So I have my own stuff. And then I read that Vaclav Havel, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, the Czech uh, leader who had what they called the Velvet Revolution in the late 80s. He died a couple weeks ago at 75. And I, I didn't ever read a lot of his work. I've always been an admirer of him. But the one line in his obituary that struck me was, a former chain smoker. Okay, this is a man who did all these wonderful things in the world, but in his obituary is this line, a former chain smoker. And he really was a chain smoker, and he died of lung cancer, but the former was that he did quit before he died. 
But that's the piece that caught me. That's where the light of Christ kind of came through this Christmas season. This great man who had an addiction. But he did such wonderful work. And it gave me hope to look for the light of Christ, the soft light of Christ, in every place, in every person. Kathleen Norris says that to believe means to give your heart to something. Now we're on the third box. New Year. New Year's resolutions, stop making them because if you're a perfectionist, they're not going to do them anyway, so just don't make them, okay? But if belief is about what we can give our heart to, then that gives me a different slant on New Year's and what I look for in this new year. What do I want to give my heart to this year? And I think the story of the wise men, the coming of Christ, has a lot to which I want to give my heart. And to what practices do I want to return often this year? And that has to do with the boxes. Centering prayer is a way of praying that asks us to sort of give our thoughts a rest. For some of us, that's really hard. Give our thoughts a rest and be aware of God's presence in the moment. And if the thought goes by, just let it go by. Don't Velcro to it and grab it and think about it and ruminate on it. Just let it go by. Just rest in God's presence. Uh, That one's a little hard for me to do. But this fall I was at Kairos, and there was a uh, Sister Marcy, a nun, was teaching the students how to do centering prayer. And she said, now usually they say 20 minutes, but let's do five, okay? So we were trying to do five, and then we were having trouble because, you know, the thoughts just kept coming, and they Velcroed to us. And she said, your thoughts aren't bad. You just need to rest once in a while and be in God's presence. And so she told a story about a nun who was training college students how to do centering prayer, how to keep it simple, and just, you know, just keep it simple. And they said, but our thoughts go everywhere. We can't do it. She said, I'll tell you the secret. You stay there by returning often. You stay in God's presence by returning often. Just returning often. You don't need to do it perfectly, but just return often. And so this Christmas season, that is what I would like to remember. We return often to the story of the wise men. We return often to the story of Christ, the light of the world. We return often to the physical light and darkness each morning and evening, being aware of God's presence. And in 2012, I would like to stay present to God by returning often. Not necessarily by doing it perfectly, but by returning often. And I'm grateful to do that with you all. Amen.